All right. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. I just pray, Lord, that you remove all the distractions. Give us ears to hear, heart to respond. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we talked about frustration with God. And I talked a little about that issue. And the reason I preached on that is because I preach on what's real to me. Um, along those lines, I want to talk about frustration with God again. Because as I meditated on what I preached on last week, which was uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus of Bethany, and how Mary and Martha got frustrated. I believe they're frustrated. We get to heaven, we can check. But they look pretty frustrated in that passage. Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That doesn't sound like faith, resignation, praise language. If you would have done a different we could all be happy. You didn't, so it sounds a little bit like blame. I don't even have Mary didn't want to come out of the house at first and even see Jesus, which, again, Mary seems to be the one who, again, you, you don't want to compare, but it's like if anybody loved Jesus the most, Mary would certainly be a top contender there. She loved Jesus, but she was frustrated with him when we get frustrated with him. So I was had an epiphany while I was walking around the park praying, because I do that sometimes. you got to find your place. And it's not Hello Creek Baptist, because you try to sleep in your bed, you're falling asleep. Right? It's yeah, you got to get out of your house like Jesus did. He gets out of his comfort zone. He goes to his special place. My place is a lot of times a park. I do laps. There's a place out by the lake I like to go pray. I got kind of an epiphany, and I was I was blown away because I thought, man, if if they got blindsided by the death death of Lazarus, that was really just preparation. I mean, if they got run over by a truck with with Lazarus, what did they get run over by when Jesus went through a sham trial? was strung up on a cross and murdered. I mean, these guys who thought, just, just imagine following this guy around. He's casting out demons. Miracles are happening. He's raising the dead. He's preaching to thousands. You're his right-hand guys. You, you know, it's like a presidential campaign. It's like, he's going to win. He's gonna, they call him the son of David. Everyone's calling him the son of David if you know your Bible. They're like saying, dude's the king. This is the king, the coming king. And you're like, we're his right-hand men. And last week I said, when you're following the Lord, then you kind of fill out what's supposed to happen next and what's supposed to happen next, and then it doesn't happen. I can't fathom being more confused than those disciples were. Because they thought Jesus was going to be ushered in and throw off Roman rule and set up the kingdom again of Israel. And instead, he's betrayed, arrested, beat, mocked, strung up on a cross, and murdered. So while I was walking around the park, and it, it goes along with what Susan was talking about, because you know, we, we live in the same house. We tend to struggle a lot of times with the same issues. 
There comes a point, we'll look at it here in a minute, where Jesus tells his disciples, Satan has demanded to, to sift you all, it's a plural, sift you all like wheat. Satan is going to rock you guys. And Jesus said, I prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. When you get hit by the things like Susan's talking about, when you get hit by death of a family member, prognosis, whatever, diagnosis, cancer, your mom and dad tell you we're getting divorced, your parent tells you I'm a homosexual, I just never let you know, your, mom, your dad tells you you got a brother in Toledo because I, you know, whatever, you go to the doctor, you got six months to live, you're like, no, 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 this was not how it was supposed to pan out. And Jesus knew that that was going to hit the disciples yet again. He said, I prayed for you so that your faith wouldn't fail. And I walk around. I hope you guys are listening to me and you're not falling asleep. For 30 years, my goal has been to pray for an hour a day. Do I want a gold star? No. Do I want applause? No. I want to make it through this life. Because like a pastor friend I used to have in Chicago said, you're either in it or you're headed for it. You're either in a trial or you're headed for a trial. And if you're not... And then, and then Jesus finds him in the garden when he's about to be taken off. Dudes are sleeping. And he said... Guys, couldn't you pray for one hour? That's kind of the basis of Dick Eastman's book that I want you guys all to read, The Hour That Changes the World. Can't you pray for a single hour every day so you will survive when your spouse says, I've been cheating on you? Or the doctor says, you have cancer. Or your parents say, you do this, we're disowning you, right? It's your survival. So I was just walking around the park and I'm like, wow, that's how we get through it. This trial has rocked me. I literally, I said, well, I might as well use Jesus' words. Jesus, I pray that my faith would not fail me because I wanted you to heal Michael. I had in my mind how it was supposed to spin out. I could have gotten frustrated. There are people that have been a part of this church and they've wiped out. They tend to be the people that will not sit at Jesus' feet. They will not listen to his voice, say, hey, let me teach you some things in this trial that you weren't really open to listen to before. That's one thing that trials do for us. They open us up to hear things that we wouldn't have heard otherwise. Why? Because we're lazy and we're proud, and we're easily distracted, and there's something about trials that make us, God, come on, give me something here, if we'll turn to him. So, uh, and as I was meditating on this frustration with God theme, my mind went to a psalm that I love, and so I'll, I'll probably get back to Jesus in the garden with his disciples, but I want to look at this psalm, and uh, uh, for some reason I wanted to bring this this morning 
This is the game. This is the game of life. This is the game of life, and I'm saying it very clearly because we know some people are going to listen to this who aren't here. Uh, you guys are in a game. God set up the game. The game has boundaries. It has rules. It has an objective. There are things that can happen to you in this game. Most people don't have a clue how to play it. Not a clue. And it's not this game. It's not. This is all about money and getting real estate and your job and having your kids go to college and all that. That's not life. Scripture says this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God. That's the objective is to know God so that you can be like God. And in the meantime, yeah, we get houses and we have to learn how to handle money, whatever. But that's just not even secondary stuff. That's like 10th rate stuff because the sole objective is that you know God and you become like God. That's the game. And within the game, there are trials. Why did God make the game like that? I don't like that game. You can complain about it when you get to heaven, but, he, but in the scriptures, he tells us what the game is, what the objectives are, and he tells us how to play it. And so when you get rocked, you go to the instruction manual on your knees and you say, God, teach me how to play this game because I am stuck right now. And you either go into the sanctuary of God with humility and say, I don't know what's going on and I need some help, or you will die. I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. You're going to get hit. You're going to get hit with questions. Why didn't I, why didn't I grow up in a nice household? Why was I abused by my uncle? And if you don't know how to go into the sanctuary of God and say, God, I need you to help me get through this. So within the game of life, we have an instruction manual. It's, it's my Bible, okay? I took it out of the box for people that are listening and aren't seeing. For this game of life, he's given us this word. And for the last 30 years, I've also tried to spend at least an hour a day in this book. Do I want a gold star? No. Do I want applause? No. I want to win. I want to win at the game. And everybody can win. I don't, I don't need to beat you to win. We can all win. Paul says everybody who competes in, a, in the games, they all run, but only one gets the prize. He says, I run in such a way that I may win. This is 1 Corinthians 9. So from the time I was 19 years old, I said, I'm going to memorize this book. I'm going to meditate on this book because this is what Jesus Christ, the most important human being that ever walked the planet, said, this is how we win. If you abide in my word, you're really my disciples. You don't know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Most even people who call themselves Christians are not winning the game because they're not obsessed with the instruction manual and with prayer and getting down on their knees every day and saying, God, teach me. And so they are frustrated. So I want to look at a, a frustration psalm. Let's see here. Where are my glasses? Frustration psalm, Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. Why? I was looking at the game. I was looking at what was going on in the game. It didn't seem fair. It didn't seem right. I almost fell for a misinterpretation of what was really going on. What was this guy's problem? It, and this is just one example of how we can get frustrated at God. 
I was envious of the arrogant or the proud when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I looked at life and I said, it's not fair. How did they get ahead? I tried harder. They cheated on their test. They got ahead at work. I, you know, should I be real here or should I lie? Because she had sex with the boss and I was set up for the promotion. Not fair. I was accused of something I didn't do. I got fired, whatever. The wicked got ahead. And then he kind of goes into this self-pity rant. And I usually, every time like I make this make fun of people voice, I go home and Susan says, don't do that. <laughs> and this morning she was laughing and she's like, do that one, do that one. That was really funny. So I don't know if I can actually do it the way I was doing it this morning, but I'm not going to start out doing it. I'm just going to look at this self-pity rant. I was envious of the, the proud. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There's no pains in their death. Their body is fat because if you actually go to Africa a lot, how do you tell somebody's rich? They're fat. Everybody else is scrounging around on a dollar a day trying to keep enough calories in their body to stay alive and not starve to death. So back in these you know, more primitive societies, a fat person's a rich person. He's like, this is not fair. Their body's fat. They're not in trouble. They're not plagued like the rest of us. Pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. They trash people. They use people. They abuse people. Their eye bulges from fatness. Pretty graphic. The imaginations of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They set their mouth against the heavens. Their tongue parades through the earth. Now here's him in self-pity, licking his wounds, licking his wounds. Poor me. Therefore, your people return to this place, and waters of abundance are drunk by them. We turn to the, we come to this place of desolation. We're being neglected. We're being overlooked, etc. And then the the arrogant are saying, "God doesn't. God's not going to stop us. How does God know? There's no knowledge with the Most High." I said, these are the wicked. They're always at ease. They've increased in wealth. Now, here's us, right? You ever felt this way? Oh, you guys seem to like it when I tell you personal stories. This morning, I was looking through my phone, and I was looking up a ministry, and it's a big ministry, and it looks great, and I think there's probably millions of dollars going through this ministry. They have all kinds of stuff going on. And I'm not going to go into details, but this ministry was started by two guys who stepped on my head. They literally stepped on my head to get to where they are. If you read the biography of the ministry, two guys went to Africa back in the day and we were moved. No, I brought you there. I introduced you to this whole thing. And then you tried to gut me, fry up my innards and eat them in front of me and wreck me and and now you have this big thing i could be this guy and i was like nope praise the lord i'm not going to do that i'm not going to fall into that but i could and what does he say this is where i was 
being a big baby this morning. I don't think I can do it. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. I've been stricken all day long, chastened every morning. My life has been so hard. You know, look at these guys. They're thriving. Look at me. You know, I talked about what, you know, uh, a few years ago. Nobody was supporting me. I didn't have a ministry. My international ministry seemed like nothing was working. I said, I told God that day, I wasn't suicidal, but I told God, God, I know why people kill themselves. Nobody cares what they have. Nobody wants to support them. Nobody believes in them. So God, I feel like that guy. So here's, this dude's frustrated. Godliness isn't paying off. Everybody's getting married and God, you know, you're overlooking me. You're making me, I'm, I'm 22. I'm going to die in the old folks home without a spouse. Right? I've been married for a whole year. We don't have a kid. I must be barren like Sarah. This is terrible. I'm going to have to wait until I'm 90. And look at everybody else, right? So easy to get frustrated with God. Man, when I was younger, I used to watch these dudes just rocket past me. Big churches, big ministries. I always remember going to Los Angeles. And I wasn't even there to see this ministry. It was a visiting preacher. He wasn't even 30. He had written books. He had a mega church and a Bible college. And I'm like, I am literally praying that God would put groceries on my porch sometimes. Working with street kids. I was in this big church. And it again, it, it was in a book because it was identified as one of the great Protestant congregations in the nation. And they basically told me that what I was doing in my Sunday school class, they didn't like because I was making everybody feel bad. So I had to give it up. I didn't have to, but I gave it up because I ain't changing what I'm preaching. But it was about me going to street kids and making these wealthy people feel uncomfortable. So I can't even have a Sunday school class in a church. And this, you just, God, this is not fair. I've done what you asked. So this is really interesting. And this goes back to what Susan was saying. I'm not going to go into, well, da, 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 yeah, I just picked up in verse 15. If I had said, I will speak thus, or I'm going to speak this way, if this had been my attitude, he said, I would have betrayed the generation of your people. When I talk like this and I think like that and it comes out of my mouth, I'm misleading people. I'm steering people away from you. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. And here's the key underlined in your Bible. Memorize it. Until I came into the sanctuary of God. That's why I pray every day. Because I'm going to die. I'm going to crash. I'm going to mislead people. I'm going to lose my faith. And I'm going to steer everybody around me off course if I'm not daily sitting at Jesus' feet, going to the sanctuary of God, saying, God, I have no idea what's happening. I need wisdom. I need insight. I need you to steer me through I, this situation. I have no ability. Like Susan was saying, I need you to guide me by the, the panel, right? By the instruments, because everything out there doesn't look right. Up looks down and left looks right, and everything looks crazy and upside down. 
but I believe you'll meet me and I believe you'll speak to me and I believe you'll get me through this and you won't just get me through this. I'm going to be blessed for going through this. I'll even have, you'll even have Christians around you giving you all kinds of instruction, telling you to go off the rails. You have a right to be angry. So if, I, if I'd thought this way, if I'd stuck with my frustration, I would have betrayed the generation of God's people. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight till I came into the sanctuary of God. And then he says, all right, God, how does the game really work again? How does the game of life really work again? Wickedness does not pay off. Trials are how we grow and how you prepare us for, to, to fulfill our created destiny. It's how you conform us to the image of your son. Nobody gets out of trials. The wicked aren't ultimately going to prosper. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. So he says, oh, this is not going to turn out good for these people that are cheating and mocking God. And then he says, this is not going to turn out bad for me, ultimately. So he talks about, first of all, I thought about the people that are breaking all the rules. He said, surely you, sit the, you set them in slippery places. They're cast down to destruction. They're destroyed in a moment. They're utterly swept away by sudden terrors like a dream when one awakes. Oh, Lord, when aroused, you'll despise their form. They're not going to get away with anything, even though they may look like it today. And then he says, when my heart was embittered, he was embittered, bitter at God. When my heart was embittered, when I was pierced within, I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. I was as dumb as a cow. I had the spiritual discernment of a pig, right? A water buffalo, whatever. When I was talking like that, when I was going by circumstances, when I was thinking with my natural mind, when I wasn't on my knees, when I wasn't in the Bible. And then he, he's got his head on straight now. Nevertheless, I'm continually, I'm always with you. You've taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me and receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? Besides you, I don't need anything, don't want anything on earth. You're all I need. This is a guy, so many of the Psalms, this is how they work. Dude's crazy. You're like, look at the Psalms. They say all kinds of terrible things. People want to bash babies on rocks, and they want to kill their neighbors, and they want to shatter their teeth in their mouth. And No, that's when people are nuts. God, why have you forgotten me forever? All is darkness. No, they started out nuts, and then they go into the sanctuary of God. That's how the, so many of the Psalms are, are framed. You know, every verse isn't the perfect mind of Christ. A lot of the verses are the insane mind of a person before he comes to that place and gets his head on straight, before he consults the word, and he's in prayer, and he figures the game of life out for real. Whom have I in heaven but you? My flesh and my heart, and in, in Hebrew and in Greek, your heart, you think with your heart, may fail. Yes, your human mind is going to fail when trials hit. You're not going to be able to get through them. 
but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Man, I get really emotional. Like, don't, again, I've said this before. I don't cry for much. I've been like cut by a chainsaw and, you know, broken bones. I don't cry, for, but man, God can get me because this is real. This is true. This stuff works. When I'm walking around the park, though, I'm thinking, how are we going to get through this thing? The hardest trial we're going through is my my greatest desire in life was that my kids all love the Lord. That was it. God says, hey, you only go, he didn't say this, but you only get one request in life. My family's got to get through loving you. One of my sons went, How are we going to get through that? After all I've done for you, you know, we were missionaries in Russia. And, you know, is this how you do me? Oh, gosh. I heard of a guy in a football game. He dropped the ball in the end zone, and I think he lost his faith. Is this how you do me, Jesus? I serve you 24-7. Is this how you do me? Right? Obviously, he's not going to the sanctuary of God. How are we going to get through this trial? How are we going to get through this trial? with my son. How are we going to get through this trial with Michael? How are the disciples going to get through the trial when their king is falsely accused, beaten, mocked, tortured, tormented? I mean, you guys watch The Passion of the Christ? If you haven't, go watch it. Pretty good flick as far as accuracy. Their king cut to ribbons, spit on, put on a cross, murdered how do how do i make sense of this how is he who he said he was how are we going to get through any of this we have to take our time with god or we die this was my this was my as i was on a walk and i hear this from you guys sometimes and again it's it's a statement of immaturity it's a statement. It's like a three-year-old that doesn't want to eat his vegetables. Praying for an hour a day is legalism. Memorizing books of scripture is legalism. I guarantee you that's not a healthy puppy that's saying that. Let me guess. Lots of relational conflict. Lots of squirrels up in your brain juggling knives, right? A lot of craziness going on. It's because this is not legalism. This is not to earn God's love. You have God's love. This is survival being in prayer, and being in the Word. Every day. I preached a few weeks ago on Mark 135. I'm not good with the verse numbers. I think it's 135. Early in the morning, while it's still dark, when no one can bug you, Jesus resurrected himself, basically. Same word, it's resurrection. Come on, self, get out of bed. He got out of his house and went to his place where he engaged God. It's very early on in Mark, so you see this as a pattern. Why did he win? Why could he get through it all? Why did all of the disciples go bonkers and run around like the Keystone cops, knocking each other around, falling down? His main guy denies Jesus, can't even stand up to a little slave girl. Seriously, you think of Peter, you think of this big burly fisherman, right? This big scrappy dude. He like buckles, you know, you think of some little 90-pound girl. Weren't you with him? <laughs> right? 
What the heck? Why'd you fall apart when the trial hit? Because unlike Jesus, what was Jesus doing in the Garden of Gethsemane? He was stealing his soul, as in making it into steel, not stealing anything. He was, ma he was getting ready. He won the battle on his knees. I, the battle was won in Gethsemane, and then he just said, well, let's let this thing play out. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to die. He wasn't every step. He was, oh, this is so hard carrying this cross. Can I make it, Lord? That's why I like, again, the, um, the passion of the Christ, because he crushes Satan's head in the garden. I think that's a good symbolic thing that happens. I'm resolved. I'm done. I understand what's going on. I understand how to get through it. And it's in Luke 22. He says, guys, you're going to get rocked. I prayed for you. But then when he sees him sleeping in the garden, he's like, you guys have no idea what's coming down the pike. You have no clue. Why couldn't you be praying at least an hour? So again, Dick Eastman's ministry, it's, it's an hour. That's what he tries to encourage us to do. And people say, impossible. There's nobody in history besides Jesus who ever prayed for an hour. And Dick Eastman basically says, I'll give you 10 different categories. Take five minutes and do some thanksgiving. And then five minutes and do some praise. What's the difference between thanksgiving and praise? Well, thanksgiving is thanks for my wife and my car and my health and my eyes and my friends and my thanks, thanks, thanks. And praise is, God, you're compassionate. You love me more than my mother, my best friend. You want to do me good. God, you are gracious. You're going to get involved in my life. God, you are holy. You're morally pure. You're perfect. God, you're powerful. So you got right. So the difference between praise and worship is, I mean, between thanks and praise. Thanks is, what have you done for me? Praise. But he says, here's five different, 10 different categories. Now do some intercession and petition. What in the world is the difference between intercession and petition? Well, Petition is, God, I need this, and I need that, and I need this. And some people are like, I don't ever pray for myself. I'm like, okay, well, then you're disobeying Jesus because he commands you to. That's called petition. Intercession is, now help this person and that person and save this person and heal that person, and, and there's no end to it. You know. So anyway, he goes through these different categories. Couldn't you take an hour a day? No, it's legalism. I'm free in Christ. Okay, free to die, free to lose your faith, free to get run over by Satan in a you know a eighteen wheeler. So, yeah, I didn't even look at Luke twenty two, but I told you what it says. That's what happens. Jesus is there. He's wrestling. He's wrestling. That's where he says, "Not my will, but yours be done." That's what the that's what the fight was. I don't want to die. That doesn't look any fun at all. Crucifixion does not look fun. The scripture says God sent an angel to strengthen him. I'll give you the supernatural strength to go through it, Jesus. Because I guarantee you the outcome, you're going to be enjoying this forever if you obey me. You're going to be enjoying the outcome forever if you can get through this thing with wisdom, if you can play the game of life according to the instruction manual because you took your time to figure out how to participate with me through the trial. So that is frustration with God 2.0. That's my sermon. I think it went really good with 
what Susan said. I was also thinking about Jim Cimbala because I said my greatest trial right now is my son. Uh, but this other trial is a doozy as well. Uh, but I woke up and I asked Susan, I said, Susan, are you happy? And she said, do I have joy? There's a big difference. Happiness has to do with happenings. Bank accounts full, happy, empty, right? Not happy. Joy is something that nobody can take, nobody can touch ever. She says, I have joy. I wanted to check with her on that. But uh, yeah, our son, it seems to be some cool movement there. You guys are praying for him, right? We believe God's going to bring good out of this crazy nightmare that we don't understand with India and this impossible situation. But I remember years ago, Jim Cimbala coming to my Bible college and talking about his crazy daughter, Chrissy. I was 21, maybe. It's right before our first date ever. Susan came out to Chicago doing fundraising for the Navigators. And I just heard Jim Cimbala for the first time. His daughter, I think, had just recently been kicked out of the house within the last couple of years because she was bonkers, demonized, crazy girl. And there's a song by the Brooklyn Tabernacle called He's Been Faithful. And his wife, during this trial, was just getting pounded and pounded and pounded. And the attack on his wife, she felt that Satan was saying to her, okay, maybe you influence some people for the gospel because they do miracles. They, they see miracles in the Brooklyn Tabernacle. They're like uh, our church on steroids because we see miracles as well. And uh, but they have their church <laughs> huge. But uh, the devil's like, okay, yeah, you've seen some life change. So, but I'm gonna have every single one of your kids. But at the same time, she had major. She had to have major surgery that was totally messing with her hormones. She was struggling with depression. Jim Blue said she was gonna leave. She said the price is too high. I'm not gonna lose my kids. Um, and he said she was going to leave the city. She was going to leave me. She was going that was a temptation. I am not going to let Satan have my kids. And then she's writing this song. <laughs> you got to listen to it. He's been faithful. And right now, if I was uh, had been trained like my father, I'd bust into song. He's been faithful, faithful to me. You don't want me to do that. But she's singing about how through every. Throughout her entire life, he's been faithful and he's always come through. They prayed and they fought and it was humiliating. He said he'd cry all the way to church. He'd cry all the way home. And then while he's at church, people would come forward and I've got AIDS and I'm a street person and I'm, and he'd minister to people and people would get saved and he'd be helping them. And, and then he'd cry all the way home because of one of the people he loved the most, most on the whole planet was a crazy demoniac out on the streets of New York. But he trusted God and they went through it. They didn't go off the rails. They pressed in. They did their time. They sat at his feet. They were patient. They learned what God wanted to teach them. And uh, there's a book that just came out by Chrissy. Her name's not simple anymore. What's her last name now? What? Toledo. Okay. That's quite a name. Chrissy Toledo. Okay. Anyway, it's called The Girl in the Song because she inspired that song. And now she's back with the Lord. Her husband's a pastor. She leads music just like her mom. God got her back. 
But this testimony and this sermon, my favorite sermon of all time, which is House of Prayer, which if you haven't listened to, you got to go listen to it, came about because of this whole nightmare. And it has blessed millions of people. Who's been blessed by that sermon? Just, just curious. Who's been blessed by that sermon? House of Prayer. Yeah, probably about half of you guys. The other half of you will be. God, nothing was out of control. God used everything. I was blessed by it. It, you know, whatever version of it you find online, there's hundreds of thousands of people that have seen it in a whole bunch of different formats on YouTube. But God wants to prepare you. You're headed for trials. They're built into the system. Why did God make it that way? You can go through all the details when you get to heaven. It is a good game. He has a good intention for you. But without checking in, spending time at his feet, being in his word, you will die. You, your faith, you will lose your faith. You won't be able to come to the right conclusions. And you'll, you'll be taken off the rails and you'll mislead the people around you because you'll be a bitter, bound up, demonized soul just licking your wounds. So that was something else I was thinking about this morning because our biggest trial parallels, he's my favorite. He was, he was kind of like a hero for me growing up. And then whenever I listen to his sermons, I'm, I'm usually like, that's exactly what I would have said in that situation. That's exactly my view. I mean, he probably says it better, but I'm like, that's, I, I don't disagree with anything he said there. Um, sorry, but same thing as a person that can, can you get through it? Can you get through it? Are you preparing your soul? Are you pushing into the word? Are you saying, God, I can't make this. I can't make it through this without you. So I'm going to pray and uh, get a worship song geared up. Okay. So Father, we come before in Jesus' name. Uh, and there's a bunch of people in here, Lord, that need to recommit to sitting at your feet. We don't have anything more important going on than getting the wisdom we need from you so that we can get through this game of life you've put us in successfully we thank you lord that you do use everything to bless us if we'll trust you and we'll listen and you turn to everything lord you said that the sufferings of this present life aren't worthy to be compared with the glory that'll be revealed help us to believe that to trust you uh to let go of our frustration to come into your sanctuary to open up our hearts to your wisdom and uh we thank you for your word and I just pray that this would fall on good soil and bring forth good fruit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.